arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. She Walks in Beauty by Lord Byron She walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies, and all that's best of dark and bright meet in her aspect and her eyes, thus mellowed to that tender light which heaven to gaudy day denies. One shade the more, one ray the less, had half impaired the nameless grace which waves in every raven tress or softly lightens o'er her face where thoughts serenely sweet express how pure, how dear their dwelling place. And on that cheek and o'er that brow, so soft, so calm, yet eloquent, the smiles that win, the tints that glow, but tell of days in goodness spent, a mind at peace with all below, a heart whose love is innocent. And now the conclusion of Harry Cobb. The Dust of Mars by Robert P. Fitton Chapter 20 Jody rattled off two additional policy numbers in direct sequence with Raph's policy. You're telling me there are two more murders, I exclaimed as Rennie and I moved upward in Port 95's elevator. Hey, Susan Kraft, dead by pinpoint May 23rd, Baltimore, six days later on Moon Base graduate... Kathleen Cronin, formerly of Baltimore, was killed by a pinpoint. Harry, with your permission, we're heading back to Orbitus. Doesn't matter at this point if there are any more pinpoint deaths. It's quite obvious what's going on. Sadie will transfer credits to your account. Sounds like you've nailed Ariana. I raised my brows and looked straight up through the elevator to the port. That may be true, Max. But now I have to find her. Anything we can do? Asked Max. Not at this point. Harry, be careful. I'm sure he will, mate, said Rennie. You? I don't ever worry about you, Ren. Watch Harry. Yes, sir. Rennie saluted and I cut the zip a few seconds later. I looked into Rennie's blue eyes. I think I know where she went. His head tilted slightly. Where? The Basum Dome on Mars. We argued with three lower-level management types for close to an hour. They moved to the upper offices above the hangar only after I called Diaz and told him I was pursuing the lead. The manager of the Link facility was impressed when Rennie showed him a craft certification license. A CCL Level A. Very good, very good. What can we do for you men? Mr. Dill, did Ariana Cervantes rent a vessel this morning at 8.50 a.m.? Precise. I like that. Dill shook his bald head. I certainly would have remembered that. Miss Cervantes and her father used various private crafts over the years. Does the name Lo Hoy mean anything to you, Mr. Dill? I asked, gazing through the silcoplast to an array of white and blue trimmed vessels around the hangar. No, sir. He leaned over the zip window and brought up the manifest Rennie had found. Paid in chondrites to a numbered account. 
I will have to check with the duty officer. No destination cleared with the port controller? Odd, said Dill, crunching his light skin. Get me Officer Potts. I studied the decals on the curved wingspans below as maintenance people worked on the ships. Potts, from a location somewhere in the city, moved toward the window scanner. Potts, this morning, who paid cash for the use of link vessel 72273? I didn't handle it. There's no flight plan and no certification of the pilot, said Dill. Sir, I, I don't know anything about it. I didn't authorize anything. The only way that vessel could get outside the hangar and into space is from a system override. We didn't... That vessel was on Hangar D. Those ships are only used for documents or light transport and not very often. I looked at Rennie. That's it. It's possible, Harry. We need a ship to get us to Mars quickly, I said, knowing my thought about the Barsoom Dome was only a guess and a rather prejudicial one. Letting Patno know about my suspicion was prudent, but I wanted to talk with Ariana first. She would assume a defensive position should Krantz and his men become involved. Can we get a ship, Mr. Dill? With the proper credit. We have proper credit, said Rennie. I found a scan of my own credit might alert the parent company and eventually Desmond Turcott. His complicity in this affair irritated me, but shrunk in comparison with Ariana's betrayal. We will give you a small Corvair Series 9. We have three ships in Hangar 17. I'll begin the preparations. We can have you out of here within an hour. Good. The sooner the better. With Rennie at the pilot's controls, I spoke with Patno as we prepared to leave the inner locks. I peered out the small silco-plast openings up front and then looked back at Patno in the window. John trying to tell you that Ariana is up to her eyeballs in this. Well, that's not the way Burkhart and Cran see it. They brought Stanton in concerning the detention cell blast. Oh, come on. Ed Stanton won't get involved with anything like this. I don't care how much Desmond pressured him. But that's not the problem here. You've read the memos I sent about the policies, John. Where is she now? We don't exactly know, but I have a few ideas. Patno rubbed his lips. I can tell you right now, Burkhardt is under pressure from Commissar Nevis. We have to solve this so people don't think... We're talking about mass murder, John. It'll have to wait. Well, that makes no sense, I said and rolled my eyes as Rennie brought the little ship forward. What do I have to do to convince you? Not me. Them. You have to link her to the blast. I have no evidence for that. I'll talk to you later, John. I shook my head. I can't back off, John. There's too much at stake for me personally. I understand. Be careful. John, you always tell me that. And I mean it. Be careful. Sure. I leaned back in the recliner once I closed the zip window. I discounted Ariana's direct involvement in Oakley's death only because she had no direct stake in his demise. If Oakley threatened to reveal her and Miller's involvement in IP-5, I doubted she personally planted a bomb in the detention cell. I have to file the flight plan now, Harry, said Rennie, the zip cap around his head. Should I list the Barsoom Dome? I'll take the heat if you want me to list some other place. No, list Barsoom. 
How can you be sure she's there? There are 10,000 other places she could hide. I know she's there, Rennie. With my eyes covered and the ship humming through space, I forgot about the murders and thought about the time I spent with her last night. I jettisoned my anger at her pathological desire to have the upper hand. I even let my mind drift back ten years ago when I still worked for the Bureau. The Devon connections to illicit activity in Livingston was the hot topic back then, and we were two years into a deep penetration of the Devon family. I was pleased to receive an invitation to Commissar-elect Tom Wilson's party at the Commissar's residence in the North Dome. A social event of this magnitude provided status and the ability to connect to those with power. Desmond Turcott arrived with his father and brother. Constantine Cervantes gave the keynote speech. Cervantes was accompanied by his 32-year-old daughter. I first saw Ariana when she climbed the stairs to the main table. Nothing about that night ever left my memory. She graciously swayed in her red satin dress. Her shoulders and arms were smooth white and her hair long, dark, and straight. I was taken back with the sheen of the fabric flowing over her perfectly shaped back. Her father gently kissed her hand and seated her before the long sea-green linen tablecloth. The gold-rimmed wall clock with the stark black Roman numerals chimed nine times. Her eyes caught mine, but I wasn't quite sure why she stared at me so long. Cervantes delivered a dramatic, inspiring speech with the sole purpose of chiding the authorities about taxation. Twice during the speech, Ariana gazed up from her meal, and again her eyes met mine. I was a little uneasy and did not want to appear obvious. I found her ambiance, not just her natural beauty, extraordinary. Other men probably sensed what I felt as they hovered around her all night. She didn't look back when she left with Cervantes and the guests, nor did I think I would ever see her again. I walked with my bureau supervisor, John O'Neill, to the main residence terrace. Through the years, I had made contacts around the inner solar system, mostly with governmental officials and cops. For the next few hours, I had a wonderful time meeting old friends and played poker for a short time in the upper room with three cadets from the Acre on the Silburn Colony. I left the game with six droits at 11.30. John had earlier mentioned hitting several bars downtown, and I descended the second-floor stairs, but I never found him. Ariana Cervantes gracefully ascended the stairs. She smiled and held my wrist as if she had known me for years. Can you believe the range of people at this party? I wasn't sure whether she was insulting me, and I still don't know. You are Ariana Cervantes. And you? Harry Cobb. I'm a special forces agent with the Bureau. I could tell you have that military forcefulness. It stands out, you know. You have a deliberate nature, and I know what it takes to become a special forces agent. Well, I wouldn't make it into something that it isn't. You put your life on the line in special forces. Tell me, Mr. Cobb, how do you go about investigating those who break the law? With a certain deliberate nature. She laughed loud enough to pull me up the stairs. Do you really know who I am? I do. People are usually afraid to say boo because I'm Constantine Cervantes' daughter. Boo, I said as we reached the top of the stairs. Maybe the three ales I had at the poker table made me braver, but there was something more than her beauty and charm. Ariana had the ability to put me at ease. Are you always this crass with your female friends? She asked with a grin. 
and I'll check when I get back to my harem. I'd be willing to bet, Mr. Cobb, that you are rather discreet in your dealings. Oh, really? She held my arm, and we reached an arch, open to a small rail balcony, overlooking the Livingston Basin Lights. Yes, you, Mr. Cobb, are a man consumed with right and wrong, driven by a quest for justice and a sense of fair play. And you are not married. No, I'm not. She leaned on the balcony railing, but looked at me intently with her dark eyes. I haven't had the time in my career for a commitment. Commitment is a weight around your neck. That's a brutal statement. Commitment works when you're ready. She smiled as if she didn't believe a word of what I said. We talked for close to an hour, and then she faced me. You want to walk the rim? I looked upward where the stars ended at the darkened base around the extensive dome. The rim, Ariana, is for lovers. She looked over her shoulder and smiled, but did not make eye contact. I sensed she admired my directness. Then I suggest, Mr. Cobb, she said as she turned, we explore the rim. The dull orange light from the control panel shone across Rennie's face. I folded my arms and studied Mars, rusty and bright against the stars. Several times Rennie alluded to the fact that the trip to the Barsoom Dome was a fool's errand, but I strongly believed Ariana understood things were collapsing. The authorities and I both knew the facts. Why had she speared me back at the Cervantes estate? I wanted to believe on some level that she cared about me, but reality suggested a more brutal game. She would never extricate herself from the trappings of a high-powered life, nor would she control her murderous impulses to maintain that life. As we remained on course to Mars, I realized that I didn't care about her failings. I lost myself to her on the Livingston Rim ten years ago. Back then, she wore a dark velvet cloak because of the winds at that higher level. With my credit scanned to five droits, I took her hand and we stepped onto the glowing green pathway, 900 meters above ground level. A few stragglers meandered along the pathway ahead. I checked the entry level number, took her hand, and we walked along the curved, luminous rail. I was as much stunned by her ability to personally connect as I was captivated by her radiance and her natural beauty. The valley was more prominent once we reached the darkened overlook, extending a hundred meters away from the main rim, and lit by only small circular white hebons along the base. We talked about inconsequential things as the flags flapped above us. I don't know when exactly I kissed her, but I do remember her lips were sensual. I held her compact body against me and hardly believed that I had the most beautiful woman at that party in my arms. Harry, said Rennie, breaking my concentration. Sir, we're going to start entry breaking in two minutes. I pulled the restraining harness across my chest. You all right? Sure. The hottest people in the world to figure out, mate, are those who can't get out of their own way. They're stuck in whatever they have to do. You see both sides of people. Which side do you believe? The side you're with. I stared at the planet's dusty brown shell. In my heart, I wanted to see that sensuous woman in the Cervantes estate's upper bedroom. That was only part of the component. She left the Barsoom Dome because she could only sporadically relate to me in an easy and powerful way. In less than an hour, the Barsoom Dome's jagged peaks and dense tropical fauna 
would cover a transformed portion of Valles Marineris. Ten years ago, when I brought one of those dome traces over the chateau, I first saw the long water sheets cascading into the Montero Gorge. I thought back to the Livingston Rim and how I was astounded when she suggests we travel to the dome for several days away together. I suspected she had frequented the dome, but I didn't care. She had the ability to focus back then, and that made me feel as if I were the only other person in the universe. During the next four nights in the Barsoom Dome, we made love in the airy chateau bedroom and spent our days in terrain gear, hiking the gorge. In my entire life, I had never shared such an intense, passionate time with another person. I read her poetry, and we watched old show musicals on the zip window. We even alluded to marriage, but concerns about my career and her extensive social life, as well as her position within her father's company, stifled our future plans. I was in love with her deeply and completely, and didn't care about my job with the Bureau or any other future consideration without her. Then one morning, she was gone, just as she was gone from the estate bedroom. I remember the dome was cloudy from a thick dust storm raging outside. Her departure was premeditated because she left a brief memo on the chateau window, formulated according to the time charter days before. As Rennie brought the craft around, I unclipped my zip and placed in a security code only I knew. Ariana's frozen image from ten years ago filled my zip window. I shouldn't have played back the memo, but I did. Ten years hadn't changed her that much. She wore all of terrain fatigues and her eyes moistened as she prepared to tell me she was leaving me alone inside the Barsoom Dome. Her voice was smooth and I thought I heard it sandwiched between air currents rising from the gorge. Harry, I am sorry I can't stay here. If I do stay here, my life will change. It will veer off in the direction of bliss. I don't discount that, and I want that for you. Please understand that I would always be tugged at, and that, my love, isn't fair to you. Her dark eyes overflowed as she sniffed and looked toward the Gondola Falls and the gorge. Goosebumps stood on my arms every time I watched the playback. I pressed my lips, hit the zip power button, and focused on the planet, now filling the forward cabin's clear silcoplast span. I inhaled. And even though I was aware of the horrendous death trail in her wake, I wanted her safe. With the proper representation, I would have her committed to a residential detention colony. She would never leave, but at least she would avoid execution. Chapter 21 Rennie said nothing when I played back Ariana's departure. We were in the upper atmosphere, and I spotted another dust storm in the proximity of the Barsoom Dome, west of the sculptured caldera dominating Olympus Mons. Rennie raised his brows. You sure you want to do this, Harry? I checked the images of the dome on the forward window through the silcoplast, but my eyes traced the actual view of Valles Marineris cracked and shadowed deep thousands of kilometers into the brown crust. The rounded reflection of the Barsoom Dome was waged at one of the Venus Canyons. With no scheduled flight plan or announcement of destination, Ariana's presence in the dome was questionable. But I had no doubt she was inside. We're bringing her in, Rennie. Okay, then we better be armed. This vessel has three pulsar rifles locked in the cabinet to your left. 
I looked at the closed metal wall. You think Lohoy is with her, don't you? Yep. I thought about that. Why is she here? I mean, if she really is here, asked Rennie. I pinched my lower lip. Figuring a way out of this where nobody would look for her. Nobody except me. Maybe she knows I'll follow her and is waiting there with her henchmen. Harry, she could have killed you at the estate. My guess is she hopes you don't figure out where she is. She could stay here for a few days and then disappear. I nodded and had him open the cabinet. As we reached the lower levels, I grabbed all three rifles, checked the power levels, and sat in my recliner. I let one rifle rest over my lap and prayed that she would come willingly. And prayed she would come willingly. Rennie touched the zip control panel. Basum don't. This is Corvair Vessel 1465. You are on our window, 1465. Permission to enter outside port. Show your credit status, said the voice on the other end. Rennie placed his palm on the scanner. You wish accommodations, Mr. Colburn, and your flight plan lists a Mr. Harry Cobb. I placed my palm on the scanner. Mr. Coburn and I would request only hiking status in the area of the Montero Gorge. We sell our terrestrial activities in six-hour blocks limited to 30 square kilometers. Any time overage will be docked to your credit, as will any retrieval expenses. I understand. Mr. Coburn is cleared to enter port 14. Thank you, said Rennie. Harry, check the pulses. We have pulser rights. They would have seen that in the credit scans. Are there shooting ranges in this dome? asked Rennie. Yes, there are a few ranges. We'll have to stipulate our usage to the ranges. If we get caught firing off the range, we could lose all our pulse privileges and risk detention time. I really don't give a damn. Rennie grinned and looked ahead. I like that kind of talk. The craft leveled out and hit a few minor air currents. I gripped the rifle and ran the point over my knee. Harry, I'm the last one to follow rules, but we really should pressure Patno again. You're talking six hours by conventional tracer from Livingston. I did my duty. I told him, what more can I do? I'm bringing her out of here myself. Port 14 was nothing more than an enhanced silcoplast conduit tube leading into the surrounds and the central taxiing area. Workers in amber uniforms directed vessels into wide bays along the open area just as I had remembered from ten years ago. The other crafts looked like boats lined up in a marina. I threw one of the rifles to Rennie once we were safely inside. He flipped the overhead hatch and the moist dome air flowed into our ship. We stepped onto the silcoplast dock and followed the yellow line to the wide escalator down front. I gazed at the white hebon tubes and the high gray silcoplast walls as I did when Ariana and I arrived so long ago. The humidity hadn't changed, nor had the brightness and the hint of foliage at the top of the escalator. I longed for those four simple days and cringed at what I now needed to do. We walked to the ranger station, a small silver geodesic dome at the end of the long road leading into the mountains. Staff in brown and all fatigue started around a visitor's center under a massive map. I studied the dome's inner views within the wall windows as I headed for the accommodations desk and placed my hand on the scanner. Hello, Mr. Cobb, said a young woman behind the counter as my credit image appeared on the counter window. I checked her identification pin. 
Good morning, Miss Peters. At least I think it's morning here. You're traveling from Platinum City. You must be tired. Can we provide you with a temporary habitat? I shook my head as Rennie joined me. She smiled. And Mr. Colburn, pleasure to see you. Thank you, said Rennie, still looking around the voluminous dome station. Miss Peters, I said, leaning on the counter. I was supposed to meet an Ariana Cervantes and a Samantha Evans here in the dome, but I'm not quite sure if they went out to the Montero Gorge or somewhere else. She checked the window and shook her head. I'm sorry, Mr. Cobb, I don't have a record of either woman or any reservations. What about a low hoy? asked Rennie, looking back. No, sir. I removed my zip. I do have an image of Miss Cervantes. She nodded, and I brought a general image of Ariana onto the zip. The counter scanner produced a red beam over my window. Three beeps sounded. Anything? Nothing. I do have past records, but that's confidential. Then she smiled. Unless she traveled in disguise. You may not be too far from the truth, young lady, but if she's not here, who is at the Montero Chateau? I can only tell you that an elderly couple reserved the chateau six months ago. Anybody else in the gorge? I asked. Sure, at ten or fifteen people hiking. I shook my head as she raised her brows. Now, do you two wish to hike the gorge? Correct, I answered, still convinced that Ariana had entered the dome. Clothing to your specifications, provisions, and any additional zips are located in Transition Station 5. She pointed across the dome. You'll have to move to the transparent corridor. Transition stations are located down the ramps. Thank you. I would request to be notified on my zip should Miss Cervantes, Miss Evans, or Lo Hoy arrive at the dome. Of course. I turned and walked briskly past the three-dimensional model of the dome. Old feelings jumbled amidst a creeping disgust. Rennie quickly caught up with me. Hey, I don't think she's here. She's here, and she's at Montero. Less than an hour later, a tracer operator brought us along with a dozen other people into the dome's blue sky. Flashbacks crossed my thoughts like the mountain peaks and the treetops below. I longed for that serene time when the gondola falls majestically showered the long, wispy water sheets over the angled mountain rocks. The chateau's browned A-frame was nestled within the thick tropical brush atop the knoll and shone bright in the sunshine. Across the deep gorge, the long rope bridge connected the distant lake farther up the plateau. Trying not to think about my fear of heights, I gazed almost a kilometer down to the winding river along the valley floor. The tracer set down in a clearing between the gorge and the chateau. I placed my pack over my shoulders and wandered into the tall grass. The timeless chateau beckoned in the dense air, and the ever-present sound of cascading water echoed into the canyon. I could see Rennie in the corner of my eye. Where are we headed, mate? Let's check the zip frequencies. You really think she'll answer? I don't know. I took out my zip, but I waited until the tracer lifted off. The air was soon still, and the birds chirped, and a few insects buzzed within the sound of the tumbling falls. I moved directly to the edge of the rocks. Ariana, this is Harry. I need you to call me. Rennie glanced at me, and then back into the canyon. I could tell he believed that we had spent time traveling from Platinum City for nothing. He took out a nutrient supplement from his pack. Well, this place has an effect on you, I could say that. Ariana! You left me alone.
again. Bet it's an eight-hour trek down to that river. I could use a good bout in the wilderness. Channel hissed. Harry, why did you follow me? Ariana, where are you? We're in the dome. Rennie raised his brows. The channel hiss persisted. Ariana! Rennie's lips turned downward. I'll be damned. Harry, go. Leave. Don't ever look back. Tell me where you are. The frequency modulated. Ariana! Ariana! She ain't gonna tell you. Ariana! As I paced the rocks, I shouted and hit the zip several times. You have to answer me. I instructed the zip to find the signal coordinates, but the window flashed with red letters, telling me that her signal was scrambled. Rennie leaned over my shoulder. I'm surprised she even called you. Where the hell is she? My zip beeped. Cobb. Mr. Cobb, this is Stephen Foley at the Dome Ranger Station. Yes. I thought you might want to know that an Inspector Patno is less than two hours away. He requested a wreckage check to see if you and Mr. Colburn entered the dome. Well, what else did he say? It would appear that he's looking for a Miss Cervantes just as you are. Thank you. I stared into Rennie's blue eyes. John is a good man. I'd rather be dealing with John Patno than Kranz. Me too. Canyon Bridge wasn't really rope at all, although it appeared that way. Thick steel suspension cables supported the lower frame. Simulated wood planks formed a long runway, bowing over the chasm. When the wind hit right, or when other people were on the structure, it swayed. I had no fear as I leaned on the ropes and watched the afternoon shadows play games along the distant brown canyon walls. Why won't she answer? It's been an hour. Rennie still held the pulsar rifle with both hands and occasionally checked the rock cliffs through the directionals. I don't like being out here, mate. We're sitting ducks on this bridge. She could have killed me before. Rennie leaned forward. I hope that cable isn't made from turquoise steel processed at IP5. I'll second that, I said, with a slight smile as I moved along the planks and dreamed back. Ariana and I constantly use this bridge between the chateau and the mountains. I want to bring her back alive, Rennie. I again opened my zip channel. Ariana! Ariana! Rennie looked beyond the tree roots, winding through the hillside vines and up to the chateau's diamond windows. We'd better approach this militarily and not nostalgically, Harry. You're right. We held our weapons up, scrambled up the vines, and took positions behind the trees. Rennie moved out first and pressed his body along the white stucco as I covered for him. I followed him inside as he swung around and kicked the door. The sweet smell of the aged wood beams and the solid floor skewed my senses. I gazed across the empty room, upward to the bed on the second floor loft, and the wide gold-framed painting of a dark-haired woman with luminous skin, a duplicate of a Rembrandt, as unchanged as the day I walked out of the chateau alone. Rennie's eyes tightened. I'm sorry, Harry. You mean because she isn't here or because of what once was here? Both. Even the flowery wallpaper, bursts of color on an off-white background, was the same, and the wide floorboards were warped just as when I crossed the wood barefoot so many years ago. With a tightness in my throat, I walked by the stone fireplace. The cold charcoal pieces were scattered under a rusted metal grate, and the thick diamond panes cast the dim afternoon light across the braided rug. It's going to be tough for her to escape. 
with your having alerted everybody. I checked the time on my zip. John will be here in less than a half an hour. I sat on a thin bench under more diamond panes and caught sight of the falls through the thick, wavering glass. The perpetual roar was less pronounced in the chateau, except in the silence of night. I could almost feel her warm body under the sheets, but my longing festered and soon blended into anger, housed in my crunched jaw. You need to draw her out, said Rennie. Ariana, Ariana, you need to come out. I'm at the chateau. I don't know if that was a very good idea, telling her that, Harry. Security is on the way. Don't turn this into a shootout. I looked at my zip and then out the glass. The bridge was clear and the shadows sharper along the canyon. Damn, I can't believe it's all come down to this. Rennie pushed back the blue checkered curtain by the worn wooden table. We could look all day and night. I understand. Rennie creased his brow. Yeah. My zip hissed again. Harry, I'm so sorry. Rennie rolled his eyes. I grabbed the zip and spun on the bench. Ariana, where are you? I was trapped. I walked across the floorboards. Come up to the chateau and I'll get you out of here and get you representation. I promise. I have connections in the bureau I can call in. I won't spend my days in a detention colony. You have no choice. You could be executed. Come up to the chateau. Rennie signaled me and ran over with his zip. The signal was no longer scrambled and emanated from a tower near the falls. Rennie and I both headed out the open side door. Did you hear what I said? Sorry you had to become involved in this. I gazed across the canyon but didn't see the orange metal tower until Rennie handed the directionals to me. Let's get you out of here before security arrives. I will always love you, Harry. Rennie winced at that remark, and we edged our way through the hill vines to the stone stairs. He called me from behind one of the spreading trees. Harry... We need to treat this as a hostile situation, please. I nodded, but I walked toward the rock escarpment. I said nothing, but fully believed she would not fire on me. The sunlight burst across my face as I emerged from the grove into the rock clearing. The orange tower was barely visible near the falls. The channel cracked, and I grasped my hand around the bridge's twisted rope. I walked directly onto the wood planks. Rennie remained behind the tree and then scurried down the stone stairs. I was a few hundred meters on the bridge, close to the far side, when the air whooshed and buzzed with a bright red pulsar beam. I turned back to the chateau and dove onto my stomach. Rennie was on his back, holding his chest. Ariana, what are you doing? A deep-accented voice filled my channel. You are a fool. And you're a son of a bitch, Lowell. With my teeth grinding, I fired my pulsar rifle toward the tower. I'll kill you. You will kill no one, Mr. Cobb. You should have stayed away from her. Another beam shot from the cliffs, but not at me. The bridge shook. He fired again, and the entire bridge lurched toward the canyon. Goodbye, Mr. Cobb. My heart raced as I braced myself against the rope and faced the gorge thousands of meters below. I aimed my rifle at the tower, but soon realized I had no sights on the rifle and would be wasting the power levels. I slowly turned and pulled myself along the ropes. Rennie lay motionless across the rocks. The air parted and again vibrated with more pulses. This time Lowe hit the bridge underpinnings directly. 
I gripped the ropes tightly and my rifle careened into the canyon when the bridge support snapped. The air pushed by and I had the sensation of swinging through the air on a cadet obstacle course at the acre. I was soon vertical to the river. Above me, the cables and underpinnings creaked and the structure cracked as it smashed into the rocks. Somehow I held onto the ropes, but my legs now dangled almost a kilometer above the rock canyon. My zip, still clipped to my belt, hissed. I'm so sorry, Harry. Go to hell, will you? I shouted into the whipping air currents. I peered at least a hundred meters up to the ropes and tried not to look into the canyon. My survival would depend on wedging my feet into the collapsed ropes, using the loops as a ladder to the top. In my younger years, my upper body strength would have allowed me to easily scale the lofty trees, sagging ropes, and obstacle walls. With added weight and passing years, my ability to hoist my own torso upward only a few feet was now in question. I lifted my right foot onto one of the rope knots, steadying myself as the wind swayed the bridge over the exposed rocks. Across the canyon, I wondered if Rennie was still alive after Lo Hoy's brutal pulsar attack. I grabbed another rope circle and stuck my left foot in place. Even with Patno on the way, I didn't believe Lo Hoy would let me live. I began my climb up the bridge, moving at a steady pace until my sides ached and my hands were chafed red. I was less than 50 meters from the top when I saw Lowe point a rifle downrange. He aimed at the bridge supports, and then the pulse's red beam brightened over the canyon. While I did not see Ariana, I wondered why, rather than kill me outright, Lowe wanted to see me panic. After repeated attempts, he dislodged the pin and bedded in the rocks. Then he turned the rifle to the cables. Each twisted strand splinted as I climbed. He fanned the pulsar, but he was presently at an angle and unable to find a straight line to me. My chest heaving, I neared the top of the cliff. It was a race against Lowe, now running along the rocks. With no weapon, I could not respond to his attacks, even if I made it to the top. He disappeared behind rows of trees, and I froze about twenty meters from the frayed cable strands. Another strand broke apart, and the bridge pivoted on the remaining strand like a clock pendulum. The wind pummeled my clothes, and I scraped against the rocks as I clutched the rope. I heard Lowe's voice from above when the bridge finally swayed to a stop, and I faced the jagged rocks. His lunatic dark eyes were fixed on my dangling form, and his laugh unraveled my concentration. I turned so my back was against the rocks and away from his line of fire. I looked up at the distant chateau in the piercing sunlight ahead but the sound of Lowe's pulsa shook my sentimental predilections. He was now trying to pulverize the last cable strand holding the bridge above the gorge. I closed my eyes for a moment and then scanned the cliffs for a new foothold. Three meters to my right, the long, sharp rock jutted from a tiny overhang. I climbed out slowly, but the bridge buckled again. I was only a few meters back. The strand above me glowed red from the pulsar as I grabbed the rock above my right hand, and the full strain of gravity descended onto my chest and shoulders. I stuck my foot into the rock crack and tried not to think of the kilometer drop as the bridge dangled below me. I managed to get my other hand onto a smaller protrusion and move closer to the larger angled rock. My eyes watered from the wind and tears cooled on my cheeks as I shadowed the cliffs. 
The bridge cable cracked and the tremendous weight dragged the structure against the rocks and then into a freefall. I scraped my bloodied hands on the larger rock. I breathed so rapidly I thought I might fall back. The canyon currents howled within the steady roar of the falls a half a kilometer away. I climbed onto the two-meter extrusion and positioned my buttocks against the rock walls. Cobb! Cobb! Low is only ten meters down the other side of the ridge. You are a clever man, but you are dead! Nothing shielded me from his pulser. I thought about retreating along the rocks, but didn't think I could steady myself without falling. He slowly raised the pulser rifle. I pressed as close as I could against the rocks. I heard another pulser beam, but didn't see it. When I looked up, Lowe's body tumbled over his rifle. He smacked against the lower rocks and vanished into the canyon. Ariana, wearing green fatigues, was backlit against the sunlight. I'm so sorry, Harry. Shut up. I never meant to hurt you or even get you involved in this. I involved myself. We had a future when we were at that chateau ten years ago. Yes, I hadn't killed anyone then. I hadn't murdered Samantha or killed Henry or my father. You what? I killed them all. And the policyholders. I closed my eyes. Oh, my God. And I ordered Lowe to kill you on the way to the Excelsior with the inverted pulser. Then why didn't you kill me at the estate? I called off my security people because I knew I was finished. I wanted you one last time, and now it's over. I quickly looked up as she walked closer to the edge. I must die. No, no. You can be tried as an incompetent. You don't have to die. On my own level, as convoluted as that was, I loved you, Harry. Everything else in my brain got in the way, but I didn't do love you. I moved and gripped the upper rocks as she bent her knees. Ariana, no. I have nothing to live for. No. I am better off out of your life, my old love. You go on and find love. I know you will. Before I could respond, she spread her arms like a graceful diver and glided into the air. Her body remained extended and perfectly stable only a few meters over my head, and then she was drawn into the depths. I closed my tearful eyes and pushed my head against the rocks as I closed my fists and cried. The trace had descended in the dim light across the canyon where Rennie had fallen. Red uniformed troopers quickly rushed out the side opening. I was wedged with my knees bent between the rocks and the jutting stone for over two hours. The canyon had darkened, and in a short time, no one would see me stranded. I wasn't sure whether they were working on Rennie or preparing his body for transport. Another tracer appeared above the hills but crossed the chateau over the canyon. Brilliant white hebon spots swept along the canyon walls. I gripped the rocks with my right hand and waved my left hand. The tracer spent several minutes above the cliffs and then made a wide arc into the valley. Beams illuminated the snap cable lines and burnt rocks to my right and then shone into my eyes. I saw John Patineau in the opening as the craft slowed and gently moved toward me. Are you all right, Harry? I nodded and the wide yellow encapsulated portal moved outward from the tracer 
until it closed off the canyon before me and fit snugly against the cliffs. Patino extended his hand and his grip was warm. I moved my cramped legs upward and staggered into the tracer. Emergency personnel surrounded my body with a thermal blanket, connected by frequencies to the monitors up front. Rennie, is he... Are he still alive? I closed my eyes and extended my body onto the side cart as the tracer retracted the encapsulator. The craft moved away from the cliffs and the wall clicked back into place over the opening. Patino leaned over the cart. Is there anyone else out here, Harry? I briefly opened my eyes and shook my head. She's dead, John. She's dead. Harry Cobb, Epilogue Rennie, his chest wrapped in a green body wrap for the past two weeks, looked at Max and Jody in the window. Pulse a beam to the ribs, mate. How does one take a pulse a beam to the ribs? Asked Mac. On my back. You were on your back? He was just being funny. Oh, funny, yes. Forgive my literal friend. I leaned forward. I want to thank you both for your work. Uncovering those policies led to the truth. I'm sorry it ended the way it did, Harry. I nodded and pressed my lips toward the window. You two take some time off. There's extra chondrites in your accounts. What about me? You get another month of rehab. Oh, you're so kind, mate. Is it true what I hear about Desmond Turcotte? No fine and no restitution to those having purchased the replated steel, I said quickly. Well, that doesn't seem fair. I gritted my teeth, even when they found Kirby's body in the detention cells. Sadie says you're going to take some time off, Harry, said Max. I looked at Patno and then back to the window. I am. Then you relax, and you'll be sure to relax. Well, I'm a little sick about being stuck in high places, but I will relax, I said, and I stood. Yes. Allow yourself to recharge. Well, he's not a machine. We're going. Honestly, Jody, why don't you take a course in human expressions? Do you think that would be prudent? You see what I have to put up with? You two enjoy each other's company. Where are you going, Harry? I heard Patino smack his lips. He's going away, Rennie, to get it all out of his system. I was surprised they had already reconstructed the bridge across the canyon. With a backpack and new hiking boots, I trudged up the Chateau Trail. But I diverted off the trail and up another forested hill. Using a number of old bureau connections, I had Ariana buried on the second knoll. A solitary gray stone rose from wispy grass furrowing in the canyon wind and the chiseled granite surface was shadowed in the daylight. I was slated for a ten-day stint at the chateau and I would take longer if I needed the time. At the crest, I stared at the gravestone shadow over the cleared brown soil. I was not a man who relished wallowing in the pain of my past, but I knew the only way to expel the hurt from my soul was to throw myself into that pain. I would take as long as I needed to work out the loss and establish new perceptions. 
I ran my fingers over the carved letters. As the breezes nudged up the canyon walls and ruffled my hair, I cleared my throat and I spoke into the wind. She walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies, and all that's best of dark and bright meet her aspect and her eyes. Thus mellowed into that tender light, which heaven to gaudy day denies, one shade the more, one ray the less, had half impaired the nameless grace, which waves in every raven tress, or softly lightens o'er her face, where the thoughts serenely sweet express, how pure, how dear their dwelling place. And on that cheek and o'er that brow, so soft, so calm, so eloquent, that smiles that win the tints that glow, but tell of days of goodness spent, a mind a peace with all below, a heart whose love is innocent. I hope you enjoyed the Harry Cobb series, The Dust of Mars. Next week, we go further out into the solar system to Neptune and Neptune's moon, Triton. I'm Robert P. Fitton. See you next week. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com, or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.